This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. While our team of tax pros are well-versed in all things tax, our areas of expertise include rental real estate and equity compensation. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. At Capital Area Tax Consultants, we believe in pricing transparency and flat fees. Before engaging with us, you'll receive an upfront quote in black and white with a description of any services to be performed. This way, there are no hidden surprises. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com. Welcome to the Tech Money Podcast, where the worlds of technology and personal finance collide. Hosted by certified financial planner, speaker, blogger, and self-proclaimed personal finance nerd, Malcolm Etheridge. Each episode aims to make you just a little bit smarter about your money, all from the perspective of the tech professional. Without further delay, here's your host. Hey there, listeners. Eric with an A here. And today we're bringing you a special episode of the Tech Money Podcast. As you know, aside from hosting this podcast, Malcolm has a day job as a certified financial planner, helping clients analyze and take action on some of their most complex financial decisions. And as you can imagine, one of the most intricate of such conversations where financial planners get involved the most tends to be the one around purchasing or refinancing a home. Thus, Malcolm recently began working with a team at Fortis Mortgage as a strategic consultant, where he lends his expertise and perspective in helping borrowers with unique and sometimes challenging financial structures understand and navigate the mortgage landscape. In keeping with the ultimate goal of this show, to help close the information gap when it comes to personal finance, Malcolm will be inviting you, the listening audience, to sit in on conversations between himself and Fortis's Director of Business Development, Desiree Ragusi, where together they will discuss a particular mortgage topic, giving you some real-world examples and the perspective of the lender, underwriter, and loan originator in a series we're calling Office Hours with Desiree and Malcolm. So with that, Desiree, Malcolm, take it away. Hey folks, thanks for joining us. I'm Malcolm Etheridge, that's Desiree Ragusi, and this is Office Hours. On this episode, we're talking about the ways in which a buyer may use funds gifted to them by a relative to help qualify for a mortgage. Since typically when a person is applying for a new loan, they'll be asked to provide statements from any bank accounts or investments as a means to show the lender where their down payment will come from uh, when it's time to close on the loan. And although it may seem simple that a person may receive a cash gift from a relative and apply that to the funds being considered for the purchase, it's not always so cut and dry. So we'll be discussing what makes this situation unique and how to navigate it. So Desiree, you ready to go? I'm ready. All right. Well, let's just start there. Why does it matter that a person is being gifted money to buy a home versus paying for it themselves from their personal savings? Well, I, re- I think that the major one is, you mentioned earlier, it's about documenting the funds, right? The most important part, I think, of the process, other than just being qualified for the mortgage, mm-hmm. is the fact that you have to be able to document and have a trail of where any funds that are going towards paying for your down payment, closing costs, or prepaids, you have to be able to show where those funds are coming from. So it just can't come out of thin air. <laughs> 
is there a limit on how much someone's able to contribute on someone else's behalf toward a purchase? Yeah, that's a good question. So uh, let's just, we'll stay focused on a primary residence. So talking about somebody who's just buying their primary residence, there really isn't a limit to Hmm. what they can use towards gift funds. So they can use, say your parents are gifting, you know, you and your wife, a gift after you've gotten married, you're able to use those funds to cover your down payment. Yeah, I know it's (laughs) same. Um, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, you can use those, that those funds for the down payment and all of your closing costs. Um, so just the, I guess the one thing though, when thinking that about that, when you're talking about a a conforming loan, like a conventional loan, um, it's gotta be immediate family only. Mm, Whereas mm. a, yeah, government, so like a FHA, VA or USDA loan, um, those are a little bit more liberal. You can use that from like a very close friend can give you those funds, maybe your employer. I'm trying to think of another example, but you know, a cousin or something like that. They're a little bit more, uh, they're a little bit more liberal with who can gift you those funds versus uh, a conventional. An employer or a close friend. Have you ever seen anyone gift funds from that perspective before? I have not personally, okay. but um, it is in the guidelines. I mean, yeah. they, they will accept it. I mean, you've got to be like a stellar employee <laughs> or an even better friend in order for somebody to be willing to uh, that. That one, when you said it, I just couldn't let that go. So sorry I didn't mean to, to distract. But you, you, you were you were going somewhere else with that relationship that I think is important. So direct, I think you said a uh, close relative was the term you used, right? Mm-hmm. What right. counts as a close relative? Is it strictly parents? Is it grandparents? Is it, how, how do you define close relative? Yeah, I would like grandparents, parents, in-laws, a sibling. Mm-hmm. Um, those are, those would be someone who I would consider your close family members. So, and also you mentioned that it's, it's only on conforming loans. Did you say conforming loans are the ones where? Mm-hmm. That that's the case. So outside of the conforming loan, I'd be able to use those those additional funds. But what's going to make the difference? Can you define the conforming loan for for folks so that they understand what's going to make the difference to put them in that box where only mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, that kind of thing uh, is the the relationship? Got it. So like a conforming conventional loan is anything that is backed by Freddie Mac or Fannie Mae. Mm-hmm. And so you probably, for the person who doesn't live in this world on a daily basis, that might sound foreign, but you can think of that um, kind of in its own little bubble. And then you've got your other loans, which I think are probably pretty popular, at least now in this day and age with access to articles and reading. So FHA loan, a VA loan or a USDA loan, those are government programs that are there. So You'll know as you're going into applying for a mortgage, as you're having this conversation with your mortgage professional, what you're going to be qualified for, what you're going to, um, and what you're going to move forward with. And that may also depend on how much gift funds you're going to be getting or how much you have. And, you know, you can use a blend of your own funds plus your gift funds uh, towards a purchase. So depending on what you're looking at, what your credit score is, how much you can afford every month, and then what down payment amount you're going to be at may put you in a different path towards either a conventional conforming or an FHA, or obviously you would, a VA, you would know if you're going to be qualified for the VA, but yeah. So you'll, you'll, you'll have that conversation early on. 
in the process. So let's shift perspectives here for a second. Let's talk about it from the side of the person gifting the funds, right? Okay. What responsibilities, if any, do I have as, as the gift or to paying off that loan in the future? Oh, that's a good question. So none, there is no, you're not tied to that mortgage. If you're gifting funds to somebody for their down payment, then that's it. It's a gift, right? There will be what's called a gift letter is going to be required for that. And it's basically to showcase that, yes, I'm gifting this. I'm, you know, if this is not a loan, that's critically important as well, right? Because if that money is a loan and at some point is expected to be paid back, then that's not a that's not a gift. That's a debt, and that would be something that would be counted into the your the DTI. That'd be like a personal loan. Okay, so it's not the same as me showing up as a co-signer or a co-borrower and allowing my kid or grandkid or whoever to have the benefit of my stronger credit file. It's really literally just them helping get us across the finish line financially with the down payment or associated closing costs or whatever it is there. That's correct. Yeah. If somebody is going to gift funds towards another party's closing, there's no, you don't have to fill out an application. You're not having to run your credit. It is strictly those gift funds that you're giving towards that mortgage. And that is it. You're not on the hook for anything. You're not on the deed. You're not on the title. So yeah, that it's, it's kind of beginning and end there. But you mentioned something else that I want to make sure that we touch on, which was the gift letter. Uh Can you explain what that is and and how that comes into play? Yeah, I mean, it it really is just like as it sounds. It would be a letter that would be stating, you know, who you are, what is your relationship, um, how much money you're gifting, what date you're gifting it, and just stating that it is in fact a gift, right? And not a loan. Um, and you would sign it. And that's it just, it's a, a document that we would put in the file and it would go through underwriting just to, again, to document that gift. Okay. So I'm not having to prove funds or anything as the gift or I'm not having to also go through underwriting as the gift or I'm literally just writing a letter to say I'm gifting my grandson, granddaughter, whoever X Mm -hmm. amount of dollars and writing the check. And that's the extent of my involvement in this process. It is. I will point out one thing when you say check though, Mm -hmm. Um, one advice I always give to parties when um, we're going to be dealing with a a gift fund, if at all possible, we really like to have the, um, that gift. We like to wait Mm -hmm. till we're further down in the underwriting process because our preferred method is to get the gift letter and actually have the funds transferred or wired Mm, directly to the title company. Otherwise, there's going to be one or two more pieces of documentation that we're going to need. If you transfer that or write a check to your grandchild and then it deposited in their bank account, then we're going to have to have the entire paper trail that we're going to have to document. So it just makes the process a little bit smoother and easier when we can wait. We'll let you go ahead and give you the green light. Go ahead, do the wire to the title company. And it's we can track the wire very easily. And it's just that's one one item that we would need to get other than the gift letter. That's just a, a, my recommendation. It sounds like it's important in there also, if I can put words in your mouth here, mm-hmm. to make sure that your lender is aware in the very beginning that there are gift funds that are going to be part of this equation because 
you may go ahead and transfer the funds, right? And now you've created a whole other can of worms that you don't know exist, or you save that for the last minute, then expect that mom, dad, grandma, grandpa are going to transfer the funds to you on closing day. And you're going to be able to just throw those in there and then make the transfer and everybody's going to be happy. And in reality, it needs to be disclosed as soon as possible, but then done a different way at the tail end to make it seamless, right? Obviously, there's different ways to go about it, but the preferred practice, I would say. Yeah. And that would be a question on the application, right? Where are the funds for closing coming from? So having that conversation up front, making sure that your mortgage professional understands what that is. How much is it going to be? Is it going to be a a small percentage of your down payment? Is it going to be all of your down payment? Is it going to be all of your down payment and your closing costs? They're going to want to know and have that conversation because keep in mind that there are some borrowers out there who may need to document that information in order to just get approved. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a conversation that should be had right off the bat. You should be filling out your application with said information from the get-go. So we're talking about this in in generalities, if you will, but let's talk success stories for a second. Any success stories you can share where, you know, a client approached you, maybe they didn't have enough saved to complete the purchase themselves and a relative stepped in to help them secure a loan to, to repurchase Uh, to purchase a property? Yeah, we had one this summer where a couple had, they'd been moving around quite a bit for work and they settled here in the Baltimore area and decided that after, you know, living here some time, they were ready to purchase. As we started going through numbers, my client had realized that, okay, this is going to be the price point they were looking at. The down payment and the closing cost was a little bit more than that they had saved. So this gentleman's in-laws had actually stepped up and granted them a gift fund before mm-hmm. we, you know, made any, we were any sort of a ratified contract or anything like that. So again, early on, we kind of figured that out mm-hmm. and we had a plan together. We knew what it was going to be, the percentage, what they'd be looking at. Then we were able to actually also go in and decide what was going to be their cap, right? Because again, what your purchase price is is going to dictate how much your down payment amount and your closing costs are going to be. So that can all shift. So we were able to adjust, find a really good number that was something that was in their that space now that was comfortable and that they could afford. And so we made those adjustments and it worked out great. They found a property within, gosh, it was actually like three weeks, which in this market sounds really crazy, but yeah. They looked for about three weeks and went into a ratified contract and we were able to close them in about 20 days. And it was, it was great. Yeah. I would call that a success story for sure. Just the time window that you mentioned as tight as it is and getting everything done so quickly, there's the success right there, but all the other parts just are, are sort of icing on the cake. I would say in this market, at least. Yeah. I have a great team and it was a great customer and they were able to get all of that documentation up front before we were even in underwriting. So that that helps a lot. Clearly. Yeah. Well, that'll do it for this episode. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us for another episode of Office Hours. I am Malcolm Etheridge. She's Desiree Ragusi. And Desiree, remind people where they can find you if they have any questions or want to get in touch with you after this goes live. Absolutely. So Desiree Ragusi on LinkedIn, or you can email me at Desiree at FortisMortgage.com. This has been the Tech Money Podcast. For more information on today's topic, 
To review the show notes or to catch up on past episodes, be sure to check out malcolmetheridge.com slash podcast. And if you have an idea for a show topic that you'd like us to cover or you want to send us feedback, the web address again is malcolmetheridge.com. You can also find Malcolm across all social media platforms at Malcolm on Money. This episode was written and created by Malcolm Etheridge with the production, the editing and sound controls powered by Proudmouth. This has been a Malcolm on Money original. Thank you for listening. The information shared in this recording and by its guests represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not represent the views or opinions of the host. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This content is not, nor is it intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. It is always recommended that you seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your personal financial situation. This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. Our team of certified public accountants and enrolled agents is well-versed in the latest tax laws, ensuring that you capitalize on every opportunity for strategic tax optimization. We anticipate changes and keep you up to date on opportunities to potentially reduce your tax bill in the future. With a focus on precision and strategic planning, we are your trusted partner both during tax season and throughout the year. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com.